This is the City Sites Podcast with Larry Kutzler. In January 2015, New York attorney Richard Garbarini told the National Enquirer that despite listing Lakewood Church as a nonprofit, Osteen is leveraging the church as a money-making vehicle. The church pays to air his sermons, which are just de facto infomercials to promote his books. The Lakewood Church is a shell to funnel people to his website so he can sell his books. Daniel Borokov, head of Charity Watch, concurred, telling the tabloid, a nonprofit needs to be acting in the public interest and not in the private personal business interests of Joel Osteen. The church should benefit from the royalties of these books when they are shouldering at least some of the cost of promoting them. My concern with some of the energy around the deliverance ministry is that we know from Scripture Jesus is the only mediator, right? We know that that, that we're, we're all one in Christ. Do you think that some of this can create like a hierarchy of Christians? You earlier said we're supposed to cast stuff out of each other, right? But yeah. do you think some people can then, hey, I'm waiting because I want I want I want brother Isaiah to pray for oh, me, right? And and then it creates this hierarchy of needing to go see the man of God or or you know, the, I'm I'm a JV Christian because I don't have the the right deliverance or I don't have the right theology around the deliverance. Is that something that that you think could be concerning for folks that are that are that are too immersed in this entire like ecosystem? 100%. Yeah, though this is one reason Ruslan why I don't do prayer so I don't let people line up and wait for me. I don't let people say, I want only you to pray for me. No, we have a prayer team. We have an altar team. They have the same Holy Spirit as me. So we do things because of that. I also am not doing one-on-one deliverances right now. So mm. I created a deliverance network in December, early December. We have almost 800 people all over the world that are casting out demons. I'm empowering average, normal believers, not super Christians, not celebrity Christians to do the works that Jesus did. The temptation was the same. What was Satan's temptation? To give to the Lord the kingdoms of the world without the cross, right? The crown without the cross, the kingdom without the cross. Bow down to me and I'll give you all those things. The devil is still saying that and he's saying it to evangelicals. You can avoid the offense. You can avoid the hostility. You can avoid the persecution. You can adjust the message and you can have the kingdom without the cross. We have all heard the saying, keep the main thing the main thing. When we apply that to Jesus Christ, he is the main thing. There hasn't been anyone like him in history, and he has contributed more to humanity than all contributors combined. He is the main thing. This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in his word. To learn more, go to citysitesurbanmedia.com. Well, the last week or so, I've been talking about structure. I've been talking about the things that ministry is about and some of the dark sides of ministry. We don't often like to talk about the dark side because it's so negative. Yet, if we're going to have a reset, and we are in an era of reset of everything, and if we're going to have a reset in ministry, then I think we have to look at some of the dark sides of ministry that need to be or have a course correction. And the course correction today, I want to talk about the dark side in terms of the structure of giftings and theology that affect the dark side. So I pulled in a big gun for this, a guy by the name of Dr. J. Christensen. He's also known on the internet as the truth barista. 
and it's a production of his ministry known as High Beam Ministries. But I am so delighted to have Dr. J with us because he's going to answer the tough questions on this. Aren't you, Dr. J? Oh, that's quite a buildup. I'd like to meet this guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we gotta we gotta have a little bit of theater in this, right? And, exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, let's let's talk about this for a few minutes. I have found that structure in the church oftentimes is a hindrance to really getting ministry done above board and with integrity. And uh, some of that is because structure is and and has been giving a few people the control over the many. And in the few people that we give authority to and expertise to sometimes can be narcissistic. They get too much power, they get too much acclaim, and it can turn into a dark side of ministry rather than bringing light. What do you think about that comment? Well, I think you're right. Uh, Having pastored for a number of years and basically lived in churches my whole life, yeah, I definitely see where the structure uh, lends itself to to power plays, power battles, people striving for power. I think ultimately what it comes down to for me, based on my doctorate, is we are given an inherent drive to subdue and rule the world around us. That's what it says in Genesis 1. And as a result of that, as long as it's kept within God's boundaries— Mankind was created to work shoulder to shoulder. Let me explain. When there was just Adam, God says, I need to make a counterpart for him. That word, Ezer Kenegdo, in Hebrew, means a perfect match for him, a counterpart. Strong where he is strong, strong where he is weak, weak where he is strong, and weak where he is weak. And they're matched. And that's where you got a splitting of a person creating two, and they're designed to come back together to work shoulder to shoulder. Everything's cool, except once they fell in Genesis chapter 3, because Eve was kind of the impetus for that, God says, you know, Eve, you're not so good at this governing thing. I'm going to put Adam over you. He will be your governor to keep you in control. Okay, all that being said is this idea of subduing and ruling the world around us has continued. It's still our drive in every human being to bring our personal world under control and to manage it. Well, divorced from God's boundaries of love and compassion and mercy and respect, we turn it against each other. Originally, subdue and rule was humanity. You subdue and rule the earth and its creation. After the fall, we turn it against each other. And, the, and one of the histories you can look at through the Bible is suddenly you have people dominating other people. Cain kills Abel. Lamech circumvents God's rule and takes two wives, and then he kills somebody for insulting him. And then you see the Tower of Babel. We will transcend above God. And the whole issue in human history is people dominating other people. Okay, this explains why when you get into a hierarchical system of people, it is intended to produce control by a few over the many. Well, and that is such a great <laughs> cliff notes on not only your, your dissertation, but just overall giving us a good, clear understanding of where the, the genesis of this uh, began. However, in our system of, say, for example, the modern church, we have a pastor who oftentimes can become a person who rules and dominates. And it's given to him, mostly men, 
to rule and dominate because they want someone in control like a CEO is over a corporation. But thats I don't believe that's the way it was originally intended, is it? Well, no, because if you go back to the first century Judaism, which is the seedbed out of which Christianity grew, because we were just a messianic stream of Judaism. There weren't Jews and Christians. They weren't even called Christians until a number of, quite a number of years later. Okay, so they were Jewish, messianic Jewish stream to which Gentiles converted. Okay, so what's the pattern of the first century synagogue? It's very simple. It was a plurality of leadership. So explain what a plurality is. Give, give us the concept of that. Okay, basically within a, the first century synagogue, cliff note version, the ruling body was the body of elders. You saw that in the Sanhedrin. You didn't have one person ruling the religious system of Israel. You had a council of 70, and the high priest was number 71 on this. So it was a plurality of leadership, and within that, they could disagree or they could agree, but you saw them working together in a local synagogue. It's the elders. They called them the Zakenim. They were the bearded ones. They were they were the guys with the most experience, uh, both in the spiritual realm, in the faith, and in just life in general. So they, of course, they would be given oversight and management of the local synagogue. Now, here's the other thing. In Gentile, Western Greek thinking, we think in terms of titles and offices, something to which you strive to achieve that position, okay? In the Hebraic Jewish mind, no, it's not titles and offices, it's functions. Mm. So in the first century synagogue, you had the body of elders, but within the elders, you had people who functioned in a more shepherding sense of the body. You had people that served in the body. Guess what? Those pastors or shepherds were called, you know, elders, so to speak. And the other ones were deacons. Deacons were simply people entrusted with the material goods. But notice that the leadership, the elders, were separated from the material. That's intentional, I know. And And that was intentional. And you can address that. But now you're talking, that was in the synagogue, which then is transferred over to the New Testament, which is still kind of in the early days, synagogue-oriented, right? It was exactly synagogue-oriented, because all all of the believers in Jesus would still be going to synagogue. Correct. So we're not inventing elders and deacons in 1 Timothy 3. It's already part of their system. And that is an example of plurality of leaders. So how do we get this idea that a pastor in the modern church has supreme rule? Now, I know I'm, I'm cartooning that a little bit, but we have seen people that have been super pastors, I call them, have fallen recently, and it's because they have such control and such authority, and no one, in terms of the plurality of leaders, can ever pull that person into accountability. That's why where I'm coming from when we talk about the dark side of ministry. I think we're too personality-oriented, which gives way to narcissism, and that is the counterproductive part of what the Scripture teaches. The scripture teaches humility, doesn't teach about narcissism. Pride, he says, he rejects. So I want you to address why are we dealing with single authority figures within the modern church? Let me rehash a second. Among that body of elders in a synagogue, you had one person who was called the president of the congregation. 
He was kind of the, he could be the tiebreaker or the figurehead of the body, but they looked to that particular person as kind of like the face of the congregation. We understand this. We see this in Acts 15. See, in the Jerusalem Council, there was a major question they were wrestling with. So Paul the Apostle and Peter the Apostle come before the council, and who makes the ruling? It's James. James is the chief rabbi of the Jerusalem synagogue of the Messianics, the Jerusalem congregation of Messianics. So here you have a rabbi who's making the claim, okay, who's doing the decision, okay? But even in that, he listened to everybody's input, and then he voiced the collective decision. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. So where do you get the change? Well, when Christianity started moving into Gentile territory, they took on the Gentile forms of pagan religion. And that was based on a hierarchy, not on collective plurality of ministry. And hierarchy is simply a a religious expression of subdue and rule. Wow, I see where you tied the two together. Okay, so how this manifests is like in Rome, you had the supreme leader. And then you had the sub-leaders, and you had the Senate, and you had all this. Well, you meld that together with the same religious setup in pagan cultures, and suddenly Christianity became a head leader called the pontiff, Mm. the pope. Mm -hmm. And you had the archbishops and Mm -hmm. the bishops, the cardinals, and it became a hierarchy. Okay, the problem that that breeds is now you've got the subdue and rule on a religious form. Mm -hmm. Well, under the subdue and rule thing, some people in an effort to maintain control are willing to give control over to others if those others will help them control their own lives. Mm. Or if (laughs) the drive to control is to provide for myself. Well, if somebody is willing to provide for me, I'm willing to give them control. So here's the problem. In a religious situation, people are looking for somebody at the top somebody in whom they can invest authority and power so that they can take care of the organization and control of this body of believers. And it becomes predictable. It becomes assured. It becomes comfortable. It becomes secure. But the problem is, you know, all that leadership stuff, it's just too complicated. It's just too hard. So we're going to give it over to this person. The problem is there are too many people who really want control Mm -hmm. and not necessarily for the right reasons. So you have these individuals who could be call themselves pastors, but are they functioning as pastors or are they functioning as CEOs? Well, that's a good question. And I think that that opens the door to a lot of narcissistic behavior, which is what I've been saying all along. That's the dark side of ministry, because if we give ultimate power to a person because the other people don't want to, you know, do the kinds of things that ministry requires, that gets to be a really sticky issue for me. Ultimately, Dr. J, that we begin to hire these people and we hire them not even based on character as much as a preaching gift or a gift of being a type A personality that will go out and build our church. And we hire these people. And what happens sometimes is that we have a Uh, a can of worms on our hands with a a leader that doesn't listen, who is narcissistic and takes control of everything and nobody is able to push back. Answer that. Well, 
And that's one of the things you and I have talked about in the past, because I read a fascinating article where a guy, uh, I think it was upwards of 20% of the CEOs in business were sociopaths, Hmm. which is not meaning they have horns and tails and things like this, but they are they are more focused on themselves and not focused on the people around them. They're not empathetic. Their job is to get the job done not to work with people. And so you have these people who have a drive for control, uh, to control the structure and to control the people that they've woven into the structure. These are many of the large businesses. I mean, you look at, frankly, I'm, I'm not going to play junior psychologist here, but you look at some of the CEOs of very large companies today mm-hmm. and you're going, wow, there is no way mm-hmm. I want to work for that guy. Or what he just said was one of the most sociopathic things I think I've ever heard because their job is to build it up. So when people in churches want a CEO to build the church, rather than a pastor who nurtures the church that Jesus builds, chances are they're going for the same type of leader as businesses do. Somebody who can get the job done, regardless of how many people they use or step on. Now you've got an opening for the, exactly the person you're describing. And that becomes the dark side of ministry. So when we talk about this, uh, Dr. J, I think that we also don't train up the congregation in the kind of leaders that they need to be in order to have this plurality of leadership. And I've sat on most boards, a lot of boards, and most of them just, they don't have really good leadership skills. They don't think proactively or productively. And it and that's what gives way to these very narcissistic controlling leaders because we don't have strong plurality. Address that. You're absolutely right. Plurality is the antidote for this one person subdue and rule, conquer and dominate kind of personality and actions. Plurality of leadership is an antidote. Accountability is an antidote. Character, hiring based on character, or let's even put it this way. Rather than hiring the pastor in, why don't you promote somebody from inside the congregation who shows an ability to really handle the word, has a deep relationship with the Lord. Why? Because you've watched that person over the years as they've grown and developed. Most churches, when they hire a pastor, have no idea what's hidden in that package they're hiring. And they either have to come with really strong credentials, both in function in ministry, but also in character. And reputation, which sometimes we can't do today. You can't ask about a guy's reputation because that's against a lot of state hiring laws. Yeah, we've got a non-disclosure clause. Yeah, that's that's horse hockey. You need, if you're going to hire a pastor, you need to get ministry credentials as far as character and reputation and then look at what they can do. Because if you hire based on their building ability, you know, you have a good builder, you have a good CEO, but do you have a good pastor? Do you have a good leader who works well shoulder to shoulder with the other elders? That's what's key. Let me put it this way. I'm in a congregation right now. I'm not even a pastor in the congregation. I'm not even a member of it yet. Mm-hmm. I've been attending for a number of months now. They went through this humongous split, partly because the senior pastor was doing the CEO thing and going off the rails spiritually and focusing more on building the organization than encouraging the organism. So that blew up. They The only two people left was the youth guy and the counseling guy. Mm. And from these two, 
not very uh, experienced guys, they built an eldership team and they are a shoulder to shoulder eldership team that is differentiated by function, Mm -hmm. not by title or office. Ah. As a result, these guys are constantly referring to the other elders going, we talk together and we've decided this and they said, I'm going to preach this and he's going to preach that. And this is the, the counseling guy over here. They work like a machine. It's amazing. And the health of the body is amazing. Well, I think... I think that's what's missing, Dr. J. I think when you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, you have a five-fold ministry, they, some people have called it, but you have uh, giftings there that I think that the pulpit needs on a rotating basis. I have always felt sitting under the same preaching, the same person, week after week, year after year, sometimes it can get rather stale. And how do we know that the things that he or she, in some cases, but how do we know that they're telling us the truth based on true study and true introspection of the word? Or is it just kind of like, I'm just going to entertain you with a good entertaining sermon, you know, a rah, rah, rah. And and the body doesn't at that point really grow spiritually. It can grow in an emotional kind of experience. How would you respond to that? Simple. The, the easy cure for that is disciple your congregation. Right. Teach them the word mm-hmm. because the genuine always identifies the counterfeit or the errant. So disciple them in the word. Okay, so here's the last one I want to talk to you about, and that is the dark side of theology, because you're talking about teaching and you're talking about discipling, so you're going to use a theological, some sort of a foundation for that. So does theology play a part in sometimes the church becoming a dark side? Because certain doctrines obviously are dark-oriented. They're not supportive. They're not servant-oriented. They're more about get as much as you can, claim and, and take, rather than give and love. And What would you say about theology then? Romans 12 tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. What renews our mind? It is God's Word. So the first thing we need is, as a believer, before we even strive for any sort of a leadership or influence position in a church, church or function in a church, our biggest function is to be a disciple, to get God's Word into us and to be able to handle it well. Why is that important? Because Jesus said, out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. So good, as they say, good theology breeds good practice. Because you and I were talking in my podcast about, you know, Jesus teaches on murder. And he says, well, the law says you shouldn't murder. But let me get to the heart of the matter. If you hate somebody, that type of inner hatred can lead to murder. Okay, same principle applies. If we don't have the right theology, that's going to work out in our practice. If we have good theology, solid biblical theology, it will be reflected in our practice. So when you begin to see the name it and claim it people, that's a theology. Well, all of a sudden you have people who are really, frankly, they're really striving for success more than they are being good students of the word. In many cases that I've seen, good theology prevents legalism. What is legalism? Well, some people say, well, if you're just going to stick to the letter of the law, that's legalism. No, legalism is relying on any act or fulfilling of God's word to earn your way into salvation. We're given salvation, but we are to do works. However, there are some people whose theology is extremely dogmatic and strict. 
and they follow the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. And you will see that in their congregations. In some cases, it could be the suppression of women's ministries. We were designed, men and women, to function and to subdue and rule the earth shoulder to shoulder. This whole earthly gig we're in, this was to be done, men and women shoulder to shoulder. But because of the fall, it placed the man over the woman as a governor. But yet in Jesus, what's happening is he's saying, submit yourselves one to another. That's a whole different yeah, process. He's returning us to Eden. Mm-hmm. The Eden design is the original design and the final design. So in Ephesians, you get submit yourselves one to another. How do you get back to the shoulder to shoulder? Submit yourselves one to another. It says, women, submit to your husbands. In other words, work with your husband. And that gets back to the original curse. Women's going to strive for her husband's place. Okay. But then it says, men, love your wives. Don't be the overbearing husband, but work with as she works with you and you love her. Boom. Mutual submission back to the original function. So in a sense, in some of these congregations that look at women can't be in leadership, you're actually suppressing half of the ministry that God has graced that community with. As you're talking about uh, overseeing and, and ruling and subduing, I think that that's why God gave us plurality. Out of Ephesians 4.11, he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip saints for the work of the ministry. That isn't rule and subduing do. It's about training them. It's releasing them. It's giving them the admonitions they need. And very few pastors have all of those five giftings within themselves. So by not allowing our pulpits, not allowing our churches to have this plurality working through it. Jay, that as a pastor, I don't contain all of those five gifts. I've been used in some of them, but I know where my gifting lies, and there's four of those that I don't possess. So as a responsible pastor, leader, if we want to say that, leader of the elders, I want more of the other four flowing into the body so that they are properly equipped to do the work of the ministry. I'll give you the last word on that. Okay. Wow. You have unleashed a great teaching here because what we call the five-fold ministry, today's church often either ignores and says, you only get three of the two because we've determined it to be so, or you have all five and they're treated as the five-fold offices or the five-fold titles. In a first-century Hebraic mindset, these are five different functions within the leadership. And they were all present in the first century synagogue before Jesus. Jesus empowered these five particular functions for a reason. The apostle is the groundbreaker. He's the ambassador. A synagogue would send the apostle out to do a work and the apostle would come back, work finished. The prophet would be more along the lines of the inspired preacher. Of the body. The pastor would be the elders who shepherded the body and cared for the souls and the spiritual needs of the congregation. The teacher is the rabbi, and the evangelist would often function alongside or as an apostle, but they would rather be the emissary to call people into faith. So they would be much more focused on reaching out to the Gentiles and having them enter Judaism, forsaking the pagan gods and follow God. Okay. So all of those functions aren't to be standalone functions, sir. 
they are functions that are there to train and equip the body for ministry. So, for example, what should a pastor be doing? Well, the lone pastor should be visiting everybody in the church and going on hospital visitations and home visitations, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what if I can't get to my sermon? Well, then we're going <laughs> to then we're going to rebuke you for not doing your job. But you want me to be out spending all my time on visitations with people. If I don't do that, you're going to rebuke me for that. The pastor's job is to teach the congregation to give spiritual care one to another. The evangelist is to train the congregation on how they can be witnesses to other people in their lives and ministries. The teacher is to train people to get into the word, how to handle it, and to share it with other people in a clear sense. The prophet is to be training people on righteousness and how to establish righteousness in the community in which we live. And the apostle, we've been sent, all of us, out into the world to help grow communities of believers and to reach out to others and to correct the problems that crop up in our own. So these fivefold functions are there for the maturing of the body, the training of the body, and all of those functions work shoulder to shoulder because they all address five main areas of a community that need to grow. There's not one that's more important than the other. Dr. J, I thank you so much for this time because I think you brought some clarity on how we are to see sometimes the dark side of ministry and we need to have a reset. We have to come back to the word and see how that first century church actually functioned and how does it fit into today's. We'll we'll reconnect again, of course, and talking more about this because there's more I need to ask you. But I think if people are listening to us today and they're going, wow, that Dr. J has got some good stuff. How do they find out more about you? Where do they go? Hey, I'm glad you I'm glad you asked there. Go to the website High Beam Ministry, like car high beams, highbeamministry.com. We're shining the light of God's truth on the road ahead. We have all sorts of fun stuff. The Truth Barista podcast. We tackle a lot of stuff. We've got the Frothy Thoughts blog. We've got a lot of resources and classes on that website, highbeamministry.com. Well, the Truth Barista, you and I do it together. And of course, you're the teacher, of course, on it. And I'm just sort of the learner as we come along. But it's a fun, fun podcast. But we deal with truth. So we do a lot of what we're doing here today. So check it out one more time. Highbeamministry.com. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday, we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators, all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com. This is the City Sites Podcast Network.